Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. There is power in the Word of God. And so as we prepare our hearts to really understand it more and more, I want to simply read it over us today as a church. But if you would just stand as we try to listen closely and reflect on what it says. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Love for you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We'll be looking at this uh, interaction Jesus had uh, with some people in his day and see what it means to us. As Elijah said, we're in this series called Pathways and we're focusing on what are the things that God has given us to allow us to find completeness in Jesus. In other words, he hasn't told us to accomplish something and not given us the, the means by which we accomplish it. He's actually told us how to get to him how to stay close to him and center our lives on him. And we're focusing in this series on just four of those steps. As Elijah mentioned earlier, we talked about worship and worship is more than an event on a Sunday morning. So, could you try again? Sorry, I've never had that happen. (laughs) Getting criticized for my watch. Okay, so (laughs) worship is not a moment in this room. It's a space for all of us to notice God to focus our attention and our spacing on who God is, seeing him in the little moments and the big moments and reflecting his glory to the world. As it says, the glory of God reflected in the, face, in the face of Jesus. And then last week, Michael talked to us about teaching, that ideas matter. Ideas uh, set us up. Ideas give us goals to shoot for. And nothing happens without an idea based on truth. And so today we're going to talk about the one thing to set you up the one thing that will make you experience life like Jesus experienced? What's the one thing that the Bible teaches us, makes us more like Jesus than almost anything else we can think or do? It's service. It's serving people lovingly. 
It's not just checking a box. It's not accomplishing a task and saying that makes me a good person. But lovingly serving people in a very specific and intentional way is the way that you and I will experience life more like Jesus than any other thing that we can do. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends the disciples out. At the very beginning of this chapter we're in, Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. And he gives them power and authority. And he gives them instructions to go administer the kingdom of God into the world. And they do some incredible things. They heal. They cast out demons. They say some incredible things. They preach the gospel of the new kingdom. They invite people into the kingdom. They see amazing things. They come back to Jesus and they say to him, did you see that? And he's like, yeah, I saw Satan fall out of heaven like lightning. Everyone's like, yeah. And then Jesus says, be careful. Because what you experienced and felt wasn't the win. The win was the number of people who have entered into the kingdom of heaven because of what you did. The win is not how we feel. The win is not what we accomplished. The win is that people discovered God because of what we do. I say all of that to say this. If you want to experience life the way Jesus experienced life, you'll lovingly serve so that people will come into the kingdom of heaven. This is how we are most like him in the everyday moments of our lives. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. Now, this is what, there's a preacher's preacher named Fred Craddock, and he taught a lot of us how to, to preach at a different level. His books, his, his sermons, he was a fantastic preacher. And he used to say that one of the biggest threats to the church is the knot of recognition. And the knot of recognition is when I start and you go, oh, I know that story. And I'm sure you do. I'm not doubting at all your Bible knowledge. But can you hear it again for the first time? Can, can you focus right now to hear the words as if you've never heard the story? Not because I'm telling you them, so that you might experience what you've missed by assuming you know. Let's read it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Pause there. Let that sink in. Jesus is becoming more popular. Jesus' words are infiltrating culture and changing people's lives. The religious people don't understand why everyone's drawn to this new teacher when they should be drawn to them. And so this expert in the law, this professional believer, this teacher of students stands up and calls Jesus out, not in an aggressive way. He wants to figure out what Jesus is all about. And he puts him to a test and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The professor asking this new person, what don't I understand? What am I missing out of all of this? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, I, I love that. Jesus is respectful. He said, Professor, tell me what you teach. Tell me what you understand. H how do you understand this text? How do you understand this question? And the professor, the scribe, the, the leader, he wrote, or he said rather, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is refreshing because as Michael taught us last week, they would awaken every day and say the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mind, thoughts, truth, teaching. And then he adds to it what Jesus had been demonstrating and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, it's not just what you know. It's not just what's good for you, but it actually becomes then how you live that out. And then because we love God with everything, we love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus answered, you have answered correctly. Pay attention. Do this and you will live. 
He said, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, you want to know how to live? Do what I'm asking you to do. Live a life that brings God glory through how you treat other people. It's so hugely important here. What does it mean to love the Lord our God with all we are, mind, soul, body, and strength? It means to give our allegiance to who God is. It it simply means to choose to prioritize what God has prioritized. And how do you and I then live in such a way that we prioritize what God prioritizes is by prioritizing God himself. Not just a list of things to do, not, not a group of chores to accomplish so we don't get in trouble. It's actually demonstrating the priorities of God by prioritizing God. My allegiance must be to God above everything else. And the good news of this is, Jesus said, if you do this, you live. You don't just survive. It's, it's John chapter 10. You have abundant living, abundant life. I want you to see in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. Now, nobody reads Leviticus for fun, right? We all read it because it's in the reading list and we got to get through that to get to the stories again. But when you read chapter 18 of Leviticus, it's a lot about how we're supposed to live with one another. It says in verse 5, keep my decrees and laws for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. It doesn't mean that you'll do them. It simply means you'll find life in them. Same thing Jesus said in verse 28 to the man who asked him the question, if you do this, you will live. You'll find life. You'll find purpose. If you want to experience what it is to understand what Jesus experienced in his lifetime, lovingly serve. Now, this would be the great moment, right? This is where you guys would finally like me because I would go, and that's the end of the story, and everyone lived happily ever after, you're dismissed. And you'd be like, an eight-minute sermon, praise Jesus. Not today. What I want to show you is verse 29 is where the humanity enters into it. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? He knew what God expected. Jesus said, you answered correctly. But when the moment came to demonstrate it, he demonstrated his justification. He wanted Jesus to say, okay, now tell me where I've not been enough. Tell me where I haven't done enough. How do I justify myself? He said, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus, being Jesus and awesome, doesn't answer this question. Jesus just poses a brand new question. Jesus poses a better question. The question is not, who is my neighbor? So what happens here is you go behind the scene and Jesus wants him to know it's the why behind the what. Remember the beginning of the chapter? It's not what you did, it's what the result was from what you did. What difference did your work make in the life of somebody else entering in to my kingdom? So Jesus changes the question from who is my neighbor to having received the mercy of God, how should you live? And then Jesus tells his story. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. It's just a story. This didn't happen. But Jesus poses it in such a way that it's realistic enough that we can see it happening. So as I read Jesus' words, see it happen. Slow yourself down and try to experience what's taking place here. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. Pause. He's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a 22-mile stretch of crevices, caves, dark alleys. It's sketchy. Are you with me? Now, here's what I want you to imagine so you can put yourself in the moment. Probably in every one of our hometowns, there was a street or a section or neighborhood that we knew by listening to the news 
or reading the newspaper, that these were not places you wanted to spend a lot of time in. Is that okay to say it that way? It was a sketchy part of town. Now, unless you're from like next city where they have no streets, you probably can find a place, right? If I take you to South Bend, Indiana, I can tell you that it was called Chapin Street. It was on the southwest side of town. I don't know that I ever actually drove down Chapin Street, but I knew by the news and the newspaper and my friends talking about it, you did not want to be down there alone. It was a rough part of town. So imagine 22 miles of the worst street in your town, in your upbringing, the place you knew not to go to unless you belonged there. And here he was going down that path when robbers in one of those caves or crevices or back alleys comes out and gets him. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away leaving him after. They took all of his possessions, they left him naked and they thought they'd killed him so they just left him. A priest happened to be going in, oh good, a good guy shows up. And when you heard the story, when Jesus told you, you would have thought, a good guy, Jesus is a religious man, a priest is a religious man. Someone's here to save this guy. A priest happens to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, yes, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, okay, good. When he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and this is the moment you're going, well, now he's going to be over three. But a Samaritan, when he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. This is where the needle goes across the album. If you're under 30, I'll explain that later. (laughs) This is where the whole story stops and you're like, no, it doesn't make any sense. The religious guys, not the outsider, not the the half-breed, not the one who doesn't get religion right. This is that moment where Jesus tells the story. Half dead. Here's what I want you to see in this scene. I want you to understand the man beaten, naked, in the ditch. He cannot save himself. Let that sink in. The fact that he cannot save himself may be the point of all of this. You can debate why he walked that path by himself. You can say he never should have done that. Doesn't matter now, does it? It doesn't matter why he was beaten. It doesn't matter why he was stripped. It doesn't matter why he was dying. The compassion in every human is that when someone is hurting, we hurt with them. If by the end of tonight, we can find no compassion in our heart for what's about to take place when that hurricane hits the US, it's a heart issue. It's not a mind issue. You say, well, they shouldn't live there. Really? Or do we stop and say, they're going to be going through some real grief, some real loss, some real pain. Our hearts go to them like Jesus' heart went to us. So this man's lying in a ditch, dying, naked, broken, all of his possessions gone. When the man asks the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus poses it this way. If you want to be religious, work on being good. That'll be enough. If you want to follow Jesus, Work on loving others. The difference in checking a box and living out empathy and compassion. So I've got three very brief points about Jesus' teaching that I think is important for us when we talk about loving others. The chances to lovingly serve are inconveniently everywhere. You don't have to make up a need. You have to pay attention. And you'll see it all around you. Look at verse 31 with me. A priest happened to be going by when he saw him. 
Look at verse 32. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, and verse 33, the Samaritan, when he saw him. You notice what Jesus is pointing out? They all saw the need. Two of them didn't have time. Two of them didn't have space. Two of them didn't have margin. They saw it and thought, not my problem, not mine to deal with, and they moved along. Then the unexpected one, the one who didn't take care of anybody, he stopped, got off his donkey, and got in the ditch. Need is inconvenient. You're surrounded every day by people who need to be loved, who need to be valued. I was struck by Peyton's uh, video this morning when she shared with us that in her own home of origin, she never felt seen. She never, and I know some of us in this room have gone through periods of our time that we wonder if anybody notices us. Do we matter at all? That's a human need. Jesus shows us here that every day, every intersection we pass through, somebody there just needs to be valued and loved and noticed. It may take 30 seconds. It may take 30 years. Why are we here? To lovingly serve even when it's inconvenient. People are in ditches crying out every day. Now, after Thursday night's service, one of my friends came up to me and said, yeah, but what about, and, and I don't blame them for their what about. It's a great question. Not every person crying out in need, I don't know that I know that. Some who may be crying out in need maybe aren't really in need. But look around you. It won't be hard to find real need, is there? It might be a word of encouragement. It might be noticing someone. It might be being grateful and thankful. It, it might be holding someone up when we, their knees are weak and all they want to do is fall down and, and cry. The needs are around us, but we all know this, right? It's never going to come when you have time. It's, it's never going to come when you've uh, you just got nothing to do. Needs will always catch you in the busiest moments. And like priests and Levites, we can just keep going because our work's important too. And it is. Or we can care and be compassionate for those who are hurting and struggling. One time, and I, I hate this story because it's so true, it still gives me a sick feeling in my stomach. Uh, Alex, my oldest son and I, and he was just a peanut. He was probably four or five. And we were running late to church. And I don't know for sure why Heather wasn't with us, but she wasn't. And we were in the car and we went by and there was an, uh, an elderly man trying to fix his tire. And Alex just said out loud, are we going to help him? And I was running late to church, my job, the only thing anybody pays attention to me. I had to get to church. And we're driving there. And as God is my witness, and we drove by the car, Alex said out loud, well, I hope someone who doesn't go to church helps him. <laughs> oh, yeah, funny if it's not you. <laughs> and I got, got to the church, and I put him in his class, and I said to one of the guys, I need to go fix a tire. And the guy looks at me and goes, no, you preach, I'll go fix a tire. I lost both times. But my kid figured it out. Yeah, it wasn't convenient, but he probably didn't want a flat tire it's Sunday morning either. So are you with me? Look at verse 34. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine and he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took, him, took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So the chances to lovingly serve people are inconveniently everywhere. They're also inconveniently costly. This is the part I, I don't want to hide from you. It's much easier to decide why a person has a need and maybe why they shouldn't have a need than it is to actually just 
meet the need with the same level of compassion that Jesus met ours. Or as Paul would say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The sacrifice is what we're talking about. To love and treasure someone costs you something. In the story, the Samaritan had to physically care for him, had to financially sacrifice for him. He had to physically give up his comfort. He got off his donkey, he put the man on the donkey, and for the rest of the journey, I don't know how many miles of the 22 they had remaining, but for the rest of the journey, he walked so this man could get to a place of comfort and rest and need. And then I never thought about this, but when I was doing my research, one of the the commentaries I was reading said, and not only that, but he also risked his own life by being off his donkey and going alone with this man down the rest of the road. How did he not know that the muggers could not have been around the corner? The same man who stripped and tried to kill this guy for his possessions now sees a man with money and a mule and everything else. All of that risk is easy. So I say a lot of obvious things as a preacher to remind us of the obvious things. Love is not convenient, is it? On television, it is. On television, it's always just so natural. You just fall into it. You stay in it. It's perfect. It's meant to be. That's not life. Love is a choice. Love is a choice in the worst of times and the best of times, but it's seldom convenient. And the only way I can explain this is simply to say this. And you, I think every one of you, if you argue with me about this, you've got a social problem, right? Do you love babies? Some in the back of the room, nope, all right. (laughs) You don't answer me anyway, I don't expect that. If I say, do you love babies? Everyone goes, yeah, I try. But think about babies. Uh, Just give me that harumph, you know, that "Mm mm-hmm, if I'm right. Loving a baby will cost you sleep. Keep going, church. (laughs) Loving a baby will take away any free time you thought you had. Loving a baby means you'll have less money. And loving a baby means you'll find out you have no patience. Okay. Yet, that baby hugs you. That baby kisses you. That baby grabs their tiny little hand and holds yours. That baby giggles for no reason and sends you off laughing. And you would do it all over again, wouldn't you, church? Love costs every time. There's no easy service. There's no easy sacrifice. There is commitment or there's no commitment. There's no middle ground. You want to experience what Jesus experienced? You choose to love no matter the cost. And that's easy to say now in the safety of this room, but love will cost us. The needs of those around us, all that's taking place in our world, if the church doesn't step into loving service, who is going to? It's only going to become more divisive, more angry, more territorial, more destructive. Yet Jesus showed us what changed the dark world is love. So the chances to lovingly serve are inconveniently everywhere and they're extremely costly and the chances to lovingly serve are worth taking. Now, I don't want to set you up here by telling you, I want to go back and read verse 36. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the one who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. The one who had what? Mercy. See if you remember a series recently. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what the Lord has required of you to do justly, to love what? Mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus is illustrating this for us. So he said, who 
was the neighbor, the one who showed mercy. So the chances to lovingly serve are worth taking. Jesus would also say in Mark chapter 9, verse 41, I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water, pay attention, in my name, because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his or her reward. Anybody who in my name does anything because you belong to me, which was the one who showed, which was the one was the neighbor to the man who was robbed, the one who showed mercy? Anything done in the name of Jesus because we belong to him. You see, the question was, who am I to be neighborly to? Jesus said, no, the better question is, because of the mercy of God, how should you live? Dispensing the same mercy you received, the same love that you received. Would you agree with me that the opportunities for Jesus to love us were everywhere? Would you agree with me that the cost for Jesus to love us was everything? And would you agree that Jesus sits at the right hand of God this day saying it was worth everything? What I received for showing the glory of God to this world was the lives of those who entered my kingdom. Remember at the beginning of the chapter, it wasn't what we do. It's what happens because of what we did. It's lives being changed. Jesus dignifies the simplest act of humanity. Jesus doesn't say it has to be this big epic scale that you need to go out today and love 1,000 people if you really love me. No, he says, just look in the ditches on your path. Just look around you at work. Look around you in your own home. Look around you at your hobbies and in your schools. And when you go to a restaurant this afternoon, and you buy lunch, look for people in ditches who just need to know they matter, who just need to know that they're, you wanna show them their humanity, you wanna show them the dignity that God places in them with his image, and you wanna call them to engage the dignity of God with God himself. It's these moments that we just go around and Jesus just said, it's a cup of water. And so whenever a preacher talks about service, you think, you know, all of a sudden I'm gonna try to get you to do more things. No, no, I want you to just look around more. Uh, and it doesn't have to happen in this building, although we, we know, and I'll speak for every staff person in this room, without you volunteering and serving those around you, w- without those parents right now, think about this, without those parents right now and those high school kids that are across in our children's area that are serving so we can come in here as adults and have a conversation at an adult level, what a privilege and gift we receive by every volunteer we have. But the ditches just aren't here in this building. They're everywhere you and I and go. It's checking on the sick. It's reaching out to those that are struggling. It's praying and not just thinking we'll pray, but praying for those who you find out are hurting, struggling each and every day. It's sending a note of encouragement. It's reaching out and identifying someone and noticing who they are. See, Jesus doesn't answer the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus simply asks the question, because of the mercy of God in your life, how should you then live? See, Jesus invested in the now. That's why in verse 37, he told him, go and do likewise. Go look in the ditches. Go pay the price. Go lovingly serve like you were loved. So let me engage for you the head, the heart, and the hands. For the head, I take this directly from Dr. Timothy Keller, who turned this story around for me. Dr. Keller says, what you need to focus your mind on is Jesus is the good Samaritan. We are not. Jesus was the one who got off his royal donkey, got down in the ditch, 
because we could not save ourselves, could we? We could not bandage our own wounds. We could not fix our own soul. We could not give for ourselves what we needed to survive. And Jesus came to earth. He walked by, he saw us and he acted. Go do likewise. Jesus is our good Samaritan. For our heart, the encouragement is to to look around. Look around you and see people. Don't see stories, don't see excuses. Don't worry about why they're in the condition they're in. Just notice they're in the condition they're in. And love them. And when they ask it, why? Jesus said, if you give a cup of water in my name because you belong to me, there is a reward. The reward may not be that there's a parade for us or that the Joplin Globe puts us on the front page telling people how awesome and kind we are. The reward may be what Jesus offers us in Luke 10, that people are entering into my kingdom because you loved like I loved you. And to your hands, reach out, pay attention, physically awaken every day saying, God, give my heart the ability to know who to love today. And I'm 100% certain of this, he will. And someone you may have walked by day after day whose desk you've never said good morning to, or maybe you say good morning to and that's where you left it. Just last week I was standing in the foyer and I had to laugh out loud because Two friends walked by each other in the hallway. One was going out after second service, one was coming in for third, and one walked by the other and said, how you doing? And his buddy asked him, do you really want to know? And I thought, oh, it's going to get good. Because in the passing, it's easy to appear loving, but in the moment, time is inconvenient. Cost is inconvenient. Rewards are everywhere. See, if you ever want to feel like Jesus, you ever want to experience the joy he experienced at a level deeper, Worship your God. Serve those around you. Listen to his teachings because through them, we find life. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.